for listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's Sermon Audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. On the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thenceforward and forever, free. In the executive government of the United States, including the military and the naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons, and will do no act or acts to repress such persons, or any of them, and any efforts they, that they may make for their actual freedom. And upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice, warranted by the Constitution, upon military necessity, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of our Almighty God. It's President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Proclamations are these official declarations given by somebody in authority to make it. They're, they're to, meant to announce some sort of important news. Proclamation uh, shares something important, something that actually changes people's lives. The Emancipation Proclamation clearly changed people's lives. In a similar way, preaching is very similar to proclamations. Many times those words are used synonymously. Where, where preaching is meant to be this public declaration of something to be true. Something to be true to the degree that it transforms lives. This Easter, I want you to hear that Jesus was a preacher. At the end of the day, what Jesus was about was proclaiming the good news. Specifically, the good news of the kingdom of God. And proclamation was key to his ministry. What he proclaimed is the greatest news that any of us have ever heard. And today we begin, like I said, this short series of messages on the three key components of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at the three main things that he thought were the main things about his ministry. We're going to see that uh, he proclaimed, he discipled, and he healed. This is the way of Jesus. This was what Jesus was about and the reason why this is so important is because uh, those same three key components should be about our own personal ministries, and they should be part of our collective church ministry. We're beginning today with this ministry of proclamation on Easter, because what Jesus proclaimed was the greatest of news. And here we are celebrating this great news of Jesus resurrected from the dead. We're celebrating this greatest of news. And this was the thing that Jesus proclaimed. This is what he preached about. Matthew 4, uh, 12 to 17. It's going to make the point that Jesus was a preacher. And so we should see him as a preacher. However, what he preached is actually what was so life-changing. Not that he got up and just communicated anything. But the content of what he communicated is what was so life-changing. And further, we're going to ask not only, okay, what, what is a preacher? What does it mean to preach and all those things? We're going to look in, into the content of what he preached. But really, more importantly, we're going to get into, okay, what does that mean for us? What does it mean uh, that Jesus proclaimed about the kingdom of God? How does that change us? What should we do with his proclamation? What should we believe? So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Follow along as I read. Starting in verse 12. 
Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, Galatia, of the Gentiles, and the, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has been dawned. Listen to verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preaching was the way of Jesus. Now listen, preaching has fallen on hard times, okay? I'm a preacher, and I understand that preaching is very unpopular. Listen, it's, it's very vogue to listen and to understand, but you should never judge someone, right? Like that is the cardinal sin of our society, is judging anyone. However, when you look at Jesus, this was something different. He was preaching. He would declare truth. This is right and this is wrong. But in our society, we view that as oppressive, right? Truth is relative. All this is grounded upon this key idea in our society that all morality is relative. It might be right for you, but it's not right for me, and you have no grounds to judge me as wrong, right? We breathe this air in. This is what, uh, uh, this is what marks our society. All our cultural elites agree on this. All our professors and the, most of the artists in our society advance this narrative, right? And listen, when I remember being a child and there was still the Cold War and you were dealing with communism, and I remember President Reagan saying communism was an, uh, was an evil empire. And I mean, people's heads exploded at that. Evil? How could you say something was evil? Like everything is morally relative. There's no such thing as evil. After 9-11, when President Bush called those terrorists evil, the moral relativists had no categories for that, right? Now listen, all that sounds great in grad school, but it doesn't work in the courthouse, right? Like if you're the victim of a crime, or your spouse, or your child is a victim of a crime, moral relativity is not helpful in the courtroom, right? But this is the air that we breathe, and this is why preaching has come on hard times. A couple other reasons, I think, too. We live in an age of TED Talks and multi-million dollar action films, right? So what I do up here is long, okay? What I do up here is boring, right? I've got a, I've got a radio face, okay? We've got no smoke. There's no zip lines in here. There's nothing interesting. This is long and boring compared to TED Talks and action movies. But even further, we live in an age of deconstruction rather than construction, right? Like we have a whole generation of people who are, who are Monday morning quarterbacking everything, who are like that ninth grader who's got it all figured out and tears everything down, right? Like we have a whole country that is tearing things down, breaking things down to their lowest point. They don't stand for something and then defend it, right? We have a generation of people that nitpick at everything and take everything apart. And what goes on there? What they're doing is, is they're taking it down to its lowest common level so they can easily step over it rather than holding high. This is what God's word said. This is what God calls us to. And I'm going to live to something high and glorious. They bring it down. And you know what happens when you bring it down? You kind of do whatever you want, right? 
If you've torn things down to nothing, you tear it down to a place where you can do whatever you want with it. These are the challenges to the idea of preaching. This is why preaching is so unpopular. However, Jesus was a preacher. Now, we don't like to talk about that because like all people of all ages, we try to create God in our image versus the other way around. And so we don't like the idea of Jesus being a preacher. Now, listen, Jesus certainly walked and talked with people. Jesus was certainly approachable. We have these stories of children being very comfortable with Jesus, people who were vulnerable and hurting, uh, being drawn to Jesus. But we also see these accounts of Jesus very boldly proclaiming something to be true, standing up in front of hundreds of people and saying, this is what is true, this is what is untrue, this is what God wants for you, go this way. This is how to be happy. This is how to be faithful. This is how to get into heaven. And he boldly proclaimed it. But if Jesus is our example, then we need to ask, what is preaching? Listen, preaching is the main way I get to minister to you each and every week. And so I really work hard at preaching. I try to be the best that I can. And this might sound weird to some of you, but they actually have graduate schools that focus on helping somebody become a better preacher. And I've spent the better part of 20 years trying to be better at this thing that I feel like God calling me to because I love you, I want to be good at it. And some of you are giggling, thinking 20 years and this is all that we get. But listen, it's important to us. And so we value it. Now, listen, I say all that to say not to, you know, you know, think that I'm better than anybody because I got that plaque on the wall. My point is, is saying, listen, I can give you some really boring technical definition of preaching, okay? Like I can talk about uh, the role of the Spirit. I can talk about, listen, if, if the preacher is not converted, if they're not actually a Christian, it's not Christian preaching. If the message of what they're doing is not actually uh, gospel, then it's not Christian preaching. You know, what role does the Word play? And all these different things. So I can, you know, I can spend days unpacking all that for you, or I could just give you a simple, straightforward definition. Here's the simple, straightforward definition. Preaching is explaining and applying the Word of God. Preaching just simply means that we're to explain and apply the Word of God. Now, this is a subtle, maybe, um, thing that has slipped into some of our thinking, but we need to chase it because it's subtle, but it's in a lot of us. When we say we're explaining and applying the Word of God, that's actually a step further from just reading the Word of God. Like the Bible doesn't say, just read it and you'll be fine. In fact, it says something very different. Second Timothy doesn't say, go therefore and read the Bible. Second Timothy uh, 4.2 says, go therefore and what? Preach the word. And, and listen, the reason for that is, is because we need people to explain it for us. We need people to uh, uh, teach us what, how does this apply to our lives. There's a great example of this in, in Acts uh, chapter 8 where Philip is brought to this man, an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's opened up God's word. He's reading Isaiah, and, and Philip comes up to him, and the man is, is reading it, and Philip asks him a great question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? It's a great question. He didn't understand. He said, no, I wish someone would explain it to him. And so that's what Philip does. He preaches to him. He explains how that passage is actually talking about Jesus. And, and as a result, this man becomes a Christian and is quickly baptized there. Listen, it's the same thing for us. We need to understand God's word. And then we need to explain God's word. And we need to apply God's word. And we need to do all that to ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves. But listen, we're actually called really to preach to others. 
If Jesus is our example of preaching and we have the Great Commission and we have 2 Timothy 4.2 and you combine that with uh, Acts 8.30, we are called to proclaim and to preach the good news to the world around us. I I read a study this week that uh, uh, this group thinks that 97% of Christians in America have never shared their faith with anybody. Isn't that amazing? This foundational thing about our spirituality is to preach the word as Jesus preached. But this is how God has always done it, right? Think about it. How has God always brought about life in the Bible? Like, go all the way back to the account that we have of creation. Was it beakers and chemistry that he's mixing up? Is that how creation happened? How does creation happen in the Bible? He speaks it. He says it, and it is, right? One of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament, just because it's weird, is the, the, uh, in Ezekiel 37, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Do you know why they were dry? Because they were dead, dead. Like they were really dead, okay? And so here you have this Valley of Dry Bones. And you know how they came to life? Again, it wasn't beakers. It wasn't chemistry. God brought the prophet there and said, proclaim the word over them. Preach over these Valley of Dry Bones. And you know what happens? They start to rattle. That's my favorite part. The bones start to rattle. Uh, Muscles come on, skin come on, and then they stand up this exceedingly great army. They come to life. How? By explaining and applying the word of God. That's how God brings life is through preaching. Therefore, our own personal ministries and the ministries of Redeemer Church should be preaching ministries. Listen, we really value good works and charity works in this church. But listen, you as an individual, as well as a collective church, they could spend all their days doing really good charity work and Jesus never be glorified in it. If you take preaching out of that, all you're left with is a bunch of Pharisees. All you're left with is people doing it out of their own self-righteousness rather than doing it for the glory of God. Listen, we can do a lot of fun things with kids and we could gather a great uh, just crowd of kids and they have a lot of fun. But if preaching isn't part of it, then it's all for naught. We're supposed to understand it, we're supposed to explain it, and we're supposed to apply it. But finally, listen, this is not uh, a passionless exercise. Like when we see that Jesus preached, this wasn't a ho-hum experience. He didn't get up there in a boring way, read the scriptures. Jesus was full of zeal, he was full of passion. You wanna know why? Because of the content of what he preached. He was trying to explain, this is how to get to heaven. This is how to be right with God. This is how to be happy in this life. This is how to experience abundant life. All these difficult circumstances are going to come in life, but this is how to have joy through all of it. Those aren't passionless topics. When Jesus preached, he did it because he was happy to do it. He did it because he loved the people he was preaching to. He did it filled with joy. But what did he preach? What are we supposed to preach? If you're following along in your outline, the second Uh, blank there says that Jesus's preaching was about the good news of the kingdom. Look again at verse 17 with me. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. If you want a summary of what Jesus preached about, it was about the kingdom of God. And notice that he says that the kingdom is at hand. In some sense, the kingdom is now breaking forth. The kingdom is near. And this was really good news. But more than just being good news, it was also a warning. It's at hand. 
It's both of these things. It's good news and it's warning. Well, before we get to that reality, we need to ask the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? Now, simply a kingdom is just a realm that's ruled by a king, right? But further, Jesus is is referring to the coming reality of how he will rule sovereignly over all things. Another way of saying this is that Jesus is taking control. Jesus is taking control. He's the king, and he's bringing about his kingdom. Another way of saying this is that all of creation is going to function in the way that he wants it to function. It's supposed to function as it should function. He's taking control. All things will be as they should be. This means that there's going to be no more poverty or oppression or racism. There's going to be no more hatred, no more division, no more anger. It's going to be marked by forgiveness and kindness and patience. It's going to be marked by creativity. It's going to be marked by uh, innovation and fulfillment and flourishing. In the kingdom, we're going to dwell with God. We're going to be in his presence. So not only are we just going to have our minds blown by the glory of God, but we're going to get to worship him. And it's going to be the most joyous experience that we've ever experienced. This is good news to those of us who are close to Jesus. You want to know why? Because this is our heartbeat. That's our desire, isn't it? So if you're close to Jesus today, you hear about the kingdom and you get really excited. However, Jesus' sermons were also a warning, weren't they? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How, How are they a warning? Well, for those who aren't close to Jesus, those who are not living as citizens of the kingdom that is to come, those who are living as citizens of this world, this world only, that this is all that there is to reality. This is our way to happiness. I'm going to do it by the way of the world, and I'm going to pursue these things that the world has to offer. Just this material realm, I'm going to believe that's the way to happiness. Those people who live only as citizens of this world, they need a warning. They're not close to God. You see, they're the ones that are prideful and angry. They're not humble and charitable. They're the ones that are fearful, not faithful. They're the ones that are are filled with shame, not the freedom of being an adopted child of God. Jesus was promising something good, but they rejected it because they believed that it was bad. That's why people always reject Christ. They believe that his message, his message of the kingdom is not good news, but it's bad news. Some are far from Jesus today, and the promise of the kingdom is a warning to them. Now, the kingdom of God is a day of judgment, and it's our hope. Now, listen, if that seems like an untrue uh, paradox, then welcome to the scriptures, right? Like, 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 think of the Easter weekend itself. Like, kids, have you ever had this thought, Good Friday? Like, what's good about Good Friday? Like, like run down the day, right? Like, if you, you think about it, here Jesus was betrayed by the ones that, that he had invested his life into. And then he goes before the religious leaders and the civil leaders. They falsely accuse him of things. They falsely convict him of things. He's then tortured. He, he's then murdered in the, way, in, in the most grotesque way uh, that I've ever heard of. All this happens on Good Friday? What's good about Good Friday? Well, what's good about Good Friday is all of those things lead to life. Death was turned into our way of life, right? That's why it's good. It's good for us. Was it good for him? It's good for us. It's led to life. It's this glorious gospel paradox, isn't it? 
And so if you're struggling, wait, how can the kingdom be both judgment and hope? Well, listen, so much of the gospel is that. Listen, in a similar way, the kingdom of heaven is judgment if you are not close to God. If you're not faithfully following him, then it's a day to be feared. Listen, if that's you today, you need to hear the warning. We're warning you because we love you. God's warning you because he loves you. When you hear about the kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're not close to God, hear the warning of it. However, if you, if you are close to God, then the promise of the kingdom is glorious. R- related, if you're weary from the world, the promise of the kingdom is glorious, isn't it? We have this glorious hope. Jesus is taking control. Well, you might be wondering, how do we know this to be true? Isn't all this just pure speculation? Isn't this this blind religious leap for those who are weak? Well, I would respond with this. How do you know that a circle is perfectly round? I did a little exercise and drew a little circle on my notes today. For the record, it is not perfectly round, okay? Now, do you know why or how I know that that circle is not perfectly round? Because I've seen a perfectly round circle, and that circle is not it. Okay, there's degrees to perfection on a circle, right? Some of them are more round or less round. And the reason why we know that they're more or less is because we know that there is a perfectly round circle that exists somewhere, right? Take that to morality. It's the same thing. Think about love. Like we know there is such a thing as a perfect love out there. You know why? Because we've experienced things that are more loving or less loving, they're in the category, but because they're more or less, it means it points to the fact that there is an ultimate perfect love out there. Same with truth, right? Like lawyers make a lot of money in our society parsing out, was that a lie? Was that a you know, manipulation? Was that a half-truth? Was that an intended truth? Was that, you know, all these different categories, right? All that talks about that there's, there's a degree in some, deg- in some degree with truth, right? Well, something can be less true or more true, but that highlights that there is a perfect truth out there. That's the same thing for the spiritual realm. Like when we get taste of the spiritual realm, maybe it's not in its perfect sense, but we know, listen, we're not just animals, right? Like it can't just be the material self that there is. Like I know that's what the world teaches us, but like you can't make a marriage work if that's really what you believe, right? And like the idea of just, oh, okay, you know, only the strong survive, like we, you know, listen, when, when you really love someone, like I, I want to be loved, I want to love someone else, you, you know, that doesn't make my life longer. Sacrificial love makes your life shorter, okay? So how is this thing that is within us, this thing that we long for, this, this thing that we try to live out, this ideal that's out there, it, it doesn't advance us in a physical way, Right? It actually shortens our life if we live this way. That again highlights the fact that, listen, God has put within us this hole in our heart that really is only filled with kingdom realities, okay? All these things that we get taste of here, they, they point to something more glorious. They, they point to something more ultimate. They point to the kingdom of God is what they point to. This is how we know it's true. Friends, the king is coming to set up his kingdom. He, he's taking control. You're either going to dwell with him and worship him, or you're going to be judged by him, and you're going to be cast out of his presence. It is a warning for those who are not close to him, but it's good news for those who are. But what does Jesus tell us to do? Your third blank here is our response is to repent and believe. Look again at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven heaven is at hand. 
Listen, if you're not close to God, based upon the fact that the kingdom is coming, Jesus is calling you to repent. He's calling you to change and go in a new direction. Repent's one of those weird Old Testament words, but it just means change and go in a new direction. That's what he's calling us to do. Based upon these truths, based upon his gospel, based upon the fact that he rose from the dead, his call is to change and go in a new direction. Well, how do we change, right? Here's like a a quick summary of how the Bible views a human being, okay? The Bible says that a human being has insides and outsides, okay? I know that, you know, the... uh, the biology department in North Texas maybe doesn't agree with this, but the Bible says we have a physical material outside, but we also have an immaterial spiritual inside, okay? On the inside, the Bible says that we, we have a head, we have a heart, meaning we have a mind, we have emotions, but the Bible also says, listen, we have hands, we have a head, heart, and hands, and so we have this physical aspect of who we are. All of that is who we are, so when you do something physically, that's you, that's, that's you doing it. God cares about that. But he also cares about your heart. He cares about the emotions. He cares about your mind, the, time, the things you think about. Okay, what does that have to do with change? Well, here's what the Bible teaches about change. This is incredibly helpful. The Bible says that the way you change is you link all those three things together. So it says, listen, if you want to change your outsides, if you want to change your behaviors, if you want to change what your hands are doing, then you've got to change your heart and your head. And that's the good news of biblical change is the things that you think about can be controlled. Capture your thoughts is what the Bible says. You see, your perspective of things or the things you believe about, that in turn affects how you feel about things, which then in turn affects your behavior. Think about it this way. If you've ever lost a business, that's a painful deal, right? If you've ever lost a business, it is a heartbreaking, difficult thing, right, men? If you've, you know, some some men out here in our church, some some of you guys have lost businesses before. That's difficult, okay? And listen, what's your perspective of that in that moment? What do you believe in that moment? I'm an idiot. I'm never going to do anything ever good with my life. Well, then what does that do? If that's your perspective, it starts changing how you feel about things. But you start getting depressed, right? And and then there's, there's behaviors that come with that. But, but what if you take it, you know, like other people have? By the way, like America's built on like failed businesses. They tweak it, figure it out, and then they go make a million dollars, right? Okay, this is the story of America. Somebody in the first service, amen that. But, um, <laughs> but the reality of it is, is, is if your perspective is such that, listen, man, okay, I did this wrong. I'm going to learn from it. You know what? God's with me. God is sovereign over all things. Hey, things are still good. I'm going to be okay. Maybe I'm going to tweak this thing and go a new different direction. Well, if you have that perspective, then your emotions are different, and then your hands are different, right? Like that's, that's a testimony to the reality of how biblical change works. It starts with your head and moves to your heart and then moves to your hands. Hear me, friends. What you believe is the key to change. What do you believe today? What do you believe about the kingdom what, you, what do you believe is, is the key to repentance? Do you believe that the king is coming? If so, then Jesus calls you to turn to him. Do you believe that his kingdom is better than this world? If so, Jesus calls you to come close to him. Our response to Jesus' call is to repent and believe. Listen, this is the way of Jesus. This is the message that he proclaimed. This kingdom is breaking through. This kingdom is better than anything has to offer. 
I died and rose from the dead in order to usher in this kingdom. This is the good news that I proclaim to you today. Repent and believe it. Let me leave you with three little takeaways here. First, because the way of Jesus is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, then preaching is to be a priority. Preaching is supposed to be a priority. Listen, it should be a priority for you as an individual, and it should be a priority collectively for our church. You see, if you are never explaining and applying what God's word means for you and for someone else, then you're not preaching. God is calling you to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around you. Further, as a church, we're to prioritize preaching. Now, of course, that's what happens here on Sunday morning, right? And, and we should devote time to make sure we have a preaching ministry in this church. However, it doesn't stop here. Like That's what goes on in those classrooms with our children. It's what goes on on Wednesday night with our students. But it also goes on you know, in your own lives, in the community around us. We need to be proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to the world around us. Preaching is to be a priority. Second, because the way of Jesus is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, then we should never move past growing and changing. We should never move beyond that reality. You see, every day we're to understand. Every day we're to apply. Every day we're to repent. Every day we're supposed to believe. Every day we're supposed to go to the Word of God like the Ethiopian eunuch and ask, okay, God, help me to understand this. Help me to seek how I am supposed to apply this. Conform me to your image. We're to honestly ask ourselves, what am I not believing? What, what in my life is not lining up with the Word of God? How do I need to change, Lord? How do I need to grow? We need to never move past changing and growing. Let me give you one more. Third, because the way of Jesus is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, then Jesus is calling you to repent and believe today. You're to change and believe today. There's a great story about a man at a great crossroads of faith in Mark 9. This father had a, had a sick, dying child. And he heard some guy was coming to town. He healed people. He did something. He made a prophet. I don't know what he is. But if there's a shot to heal my child, I'm bringing him to him. So, so the father brings the child to Jesus. And he says something to the effect of, you know, uh, Jesus, he says, listen, I know you can heal him. I, you know, I believe if you can do it, please do it. Jesus kind of gets hung up on the if there, okay? What do you mean if? And, and he calls him to believe. And so the man in, in response, he wants his, his child healed. He says, I believe. And then he quickly says, help my unbelief. What a great statement, right? Is that where you are today? That's where most of us live. I believe, but help my unbelief. Listen, if you're here today and you want to believe, but you need help, help my unbelief, Lord. The good news is, is you have a helper who will help you believe. If you're at that point, it's like, listen, I want to believe. I'm at this edge, but I've got all these questions. I've got all these doubts. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? You have a helper who will come along and help you believe. Listen, don't waste today if you're there. If you're there today right at the edge, don't walk out of this room unless you've gotten right with the Lord today. After every one of our services, when we begin to sing together, we always have pastors and elders at the back, and they're there to just pray with you. They're there to kind of help you believe. They're there to answer questions for you, encourage you. These are you know, guys that we trust, and if you need to slip away and just talk privately with them, they can do that with you. But listen, don't waste today. Jesus rose from the dead for you to believe. And if you need help with your unbelief, he is there to help you. This is the most important message that there is. 
This is what all of our faith, all of our hope, all of our spirituality rests upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and thus he's going to return and bring his kingdom here. This is the good news. And we're called to believe it and understand it and explain it and apply it. Repent and believe today. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 5. This is our religion. This is our faith. This is our hope. This is the thing that is of first importance, that Jesus was resurrected. Resurrection is our sermon today. This is our great hope that the king rose from the dead and he's promising then to return with his kingdom. He's taking control. This is of first importance. Therefore, change. Therefore, believe. Therefore, come close to him today. Friends, this is our hope and this is our joy. And as Keith Green used to sing, the angel up on the tombstone said, he is risen just as he said. Quickly now, go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. Joy to the world. He is risen. Hallelujah. What a proclamation. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you rose out of that tomb. And because of that, Lord, we believe in the kingdom that is to come. We know that it is coming. This is our great hope today. Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would believe it today. I pray that we would see it as good news. Lord, give us the grace to, uh, to understand your word, to explain it to others, and apply it to our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.